Welcome to Voices of Experience, the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. I'm your host, technology strategist and futurist, Crystal Washington. In this week's episode, Courageous Conversations, we're going to take a dive into some of the conversations that keep coming up in the business world that might make us a little uncomfortable. We're living in a quickly changing world, and as speakers, we have to be ahead of the curve. Are you ready? Let's get started. Today on Voices of Experience, we have Denise Hamilton, who's an inclusion strategist with over 25 years of executive experience in corporate America. I think that you're going to find that she has some seriously innovative tactics for tackling our topic of the day, which is courageous conversations. Thank you so much for being with us, Denise. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You know, I, I reached out to you because I, you are one of the people I know that you speak in parables often and you can take any topic, no matter how uncomfortable, um, and not even just talking about the, the many of the things that are recently on people's minds. I've known you for years. You could take one of the most uncomfortable conversations and have everyone in the room just putting their, just laying their hearts on the table. And, and really the fact that you do this in corporate America in all kinds of circles, okay? And, and you know, we, VOE, we're not really political, but I mean, I've seen you do this liberal circles, conservative circles, whatever. You have this way of getting people to open up. And so I'm excited that you're with us here today. I am too. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's get to the first question, which is we live in a time where I think organizations are more aware of a desire for diversity, whether that is a genuine internal desire or it's something in terms of externally how things look on their websites, it's happening more. And my question to you as someone who I remember, you know, you started Watch Her Work, uh, where you're helping women move through corporate America. What's happening is a lot of women and minorities are presented with opportunities now And navigating this space and knowing their worth when you haven't been invited to the table and now you're the hot topic, how do you navigate this? Do you just show up and you're happy to be here and so you just say yes and go with it? Because I'm seeing a lot of that. I'll be honest. I'm seeing a whole lot of that. What is your perspective on this? Uh, I think it's such an important question um, because, you know, if if nobody's ever asked you to the dance before, it's really hard to pass up on opportunities. You feel like, thank goodness. Yeah, look at me. Look at me. I'm here, mom. Um, But I think that it's really important to still retain your value. And as I work with a lot of clients right now, I don't know about you, but I am super busy. Yes. I think that one thing I try to impress upon them is you cannot say that you support diversity, but then you don't want to pay the people that you're asking to develop your diversity initiatives or that are presenting and talking about diversity in your organizations. Those are inconsistent values. One of the things that I really pride myself on and and when I'm talking to clients is consistency, a through line that what you do should match what you say. And so if I say that I really value this topic, my eyes have been opened. I'm seeing that um, I need to be better in this space and be more effective and more impassioned. And I reach out to an external resource 
how could I not pay them? How could I not like th those two things are not consistent. So the, the truth of the matter is that you have more leverage than you think. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing is a lot of people, they aren't even asking for their rate. They're not, they aren't even asking for um, any kind of compensation. And I think that I had to be checked on this, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. Somebody had to call me and say, listen, if you give this away for free, mm -hmm. they won't value it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and these are people that pay $10,000 a month for executive coaches. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't they pay you to come in and really enlighten them and open up their entire worldview about an issue they don't have the expertise in house to address. So you've got to really take the responsibility to own your worth and ask for what you need to be paid. Okay, so asking those questions. So it sounds to me like you're saying we need to, obviously, I mean, I guess what it would require some level of research, just like we should do as speakers anyways, but just kind of knowing what is standard and then asking for that or above, it sounds like you're saying, because if you're on higher demand, then... It's supply and demand, right? And I think it's a difficult time, right? The pandemic is impacting industries. There's no question about that. But the truth of the matter is that these issues are critical issues. They're critical to your bottom line. Right. So you want somebody to come in and help you write your uh public facing comments. That is the brand of your business in this time. Why do you think you wouldn't have to pay them? Like, like it's, it's just crazy, <laughs> you know? So I think again, it's that parity and that consistency. So you have to do your research, but in a, in a lot of ways, we're in a whole new world and it's kind of the wild, wild west. So I think it's kind of important to establish what your value is mm -hmm. and go in and ask for that. And every, every opportunity is not for you. Right. There is something that you do. And I, I learned this from my friend, Crystal, <laughs> <laughs> that you have to teach people how to value you. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I fill up my calendar with a bunch of people who really don't value what I bring to the table, I'm going to miss the opportunities that that are with people that really do. And so I, I take a, a kind of an honest seeker approach to my business. If you're really sincere about this, mm -hmm. then when I tell you what this is, going to cost you, you're going to pay it. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that approach. So while we're, we're going to continue on with courageous conversations and, and a lot of these things that we're going to bring up today, people might cringe at first when we, when we say them, but we're talking about moving through these things. So here's another one. You know, we've gotten word from Washington that certain types of DEI training are not desirable. And what's happening is, is I personally know at least six speakers. So I know there's many more. I mean, this is my own personal circle who have lost contracts behind this because everyone is scared or trying to figure out, you know, well, let's have our legal team look at it. How do you navigate this space? How do you suggest someone have a conversation with a client who sees the need for the training? They understand they, that they need this training, but now they're kind of scared to move. <laughs> so walk with me because this is a really different concept that guides me in how I deal with almost everything. Okay. Homeostasis. If you remember homeostasis from ninth grade biology, it was the, the kind of the efforts of a cell to let in and out nutrients, waste, water, whatever need to happen to maintain an average state. 
Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I believe every system in the world is like that. Mm -hmm. So your body is like that. If you're hot, your body sweats. Mm -hmm. If you're cold, your body shivers Mm -hmm. because it's trying to keep you regular, average, normal. Mm -hmm. When you try to do something extraordinary, Mm -hmm. when you try to readjust or reimagine what is normal, Mm-hmm. There's just like just like your in your body how about your body regulates you to go back to normal. Mm-hmm. I believe every system regulates you to push you back to normal. Okay. So when you're when you're cracking um, strongholds, you're breaking down calcified beliefs. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, systemic racism in America doesn't get too much more calcified <laughs> than that in terms of how we operate. There's going to be forces that try to push you back, mm-hmm. right? And I think. If you're going to step into this work Mm -hmm. to an extent, you have to expect that. Mm -hmm. So when I talked to clients, I had a few clients that called me and said, hey, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. I shared this concept with them of, did you think this was going to be easy? Did you think that people were going to just accept equality? Inequality benefits us. And and let's be, we just need to be honest about that. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you a great example. I've asked, you know, I'll ask an audience, Do you believe we should have an equal criminal justice system? Mm -hmm. And everybody says, yes, absolutely. I believe that. Mm -hmm. Right. But then if I say, and I always separate, I do it later in the presentation. Mm -hmm. I said, if your son was arrested Mm -hmm. for a crime that he did commit. Okay. Would you use every resource at your disposal to get him off? And everybody kind of says, well, of course, like, yes. Mm -hmm. And you don't really want an equal justice system. You want a justice system that you can manipulate and adjust to what by leveraging your power and your prestige and your resources. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I think that that conversation with my client Mm -hmm. where I kind of lay out either you're in this or you're not. Like for somebody to make a decision wherever, however, whenever Mm -hmm. about this work, Mm -hmm. that makes you doubt your commitment to this work. Mm -hmm. I have to question if you were ever committed. Right. And now I'm fortunate. Mm -hmm. I don't work with a lot of federal contracts. My contracts are largely very, very, very conservative oil and gas companies, finance, real estate. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have a mandate that stops them from using me, Mm -hmm. but I think the principle is still the same. I think that there are people that are going to be really committed to moving the ball forward. Mm -hmm. So if you lose a federal contract, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's a small thing, Mm -hmm. but look around. Everyone needs these services. Mm -hmm. Don't lose your head. Don't panic. This is part of the journey. It's part of the climb. And I think if we operate with that kind of perspective, mm-hmm. then we can take the hit and keep on going. Okay. I like that. I like that. I'm not taking hits, but I like the fact that we can keep on going. I don't enjoy taking hits, but that's part of life, right? So this, this actually kind of pulls me into the next question about taking hits and, and moving forward. We are in a position that I'm not sure we've ever seen in this country where all of these topics that we have been taught to keep quiet are now on the table. And I'm not just talking about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm black and a woman. I'm not just about racism and sexism. You know, we're really seeing LGBTQ people right now concerned about, you know, marriage equality and, and, and being able to, to maintain certain things. Can they adopt in certain states? There's all these things going on. Uh, we, we also have 
the increased awareness, rightfully so, on trans people and their vulnerabilities and, and how often they're victimized. And we, we have vo vocal members uh, of the disability community who are saying, you're not gonna ignore us anymore. We will sue you until you get your website right or until you do this or that. And you need to make sure to include us. So we're, we're in this space now where we have to acknowledge all of these different things. And then one thing that I like to say, Denise, is that all of us in the United States are standing with our foot on someone else's neck. None of us are not, it's not, it's not intentional, but all of us have our foot on at least one or two, three other groups of people's necks. So now that these conversations are popping up, and sometimes even in the workplace or in business environments, how do we handle this? And, and, and with different opinions, right? Because on one hand, people get triggered on different sides and it's not even just sides. I think that many of these issues are not just uh, black and white for lack of a better word, but I mean like, you know, it's people have different degrees. How do we get comfortable professionally discussing these issues because they are impacting our bottom lines now? Uh, such, such a fantastic question and really the crux of the question, right? Because let's be honest, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. This kind of thoughtfulness when you haven't had to be this thoughtful mm -hmm. is really, it's taxing, it's draining, and that can be an excuse not to do it if we're not careful, right? So I think that one thing that we kind of gloss over is how important relationship is in these conversations. Mm -hmm. I think it's really funny when people um, want to come up to a coworker and discuss George Floyd's murder, mm -hmm. when literally they have worked together for three years and you have never spoken to them. Right. Like there's a there's a relationship predicated that you should have before you jump into certain conversations. Right. And I think there's a thing about like being legitimately interested in people that are different than you. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges that we have, it's just a, a human nature challenge, but it's particularly, um, I think, endemic when you talk about this topic is we don't listen to people and respect their story. We substitute our mythology about their story rather than listen to their actual story. Oh, and that's so, all of us. That is all of us. Yes. So if my, in my mind, if I think of police and I think of Andy Griffith, mm -hmm. or I think of the heroes running into the towers after 9-11, mm -hmm. right? If that's my story, I don't really have a place for Derek Chauvin. I don't have a place like he it, it's so dissonant mm -hmm. to what I know that mm -hmm. I will get up and say, well, 99.9% of police are good. How do you know that? You don't know anything about it. Have you ever been in a city that had broken window policing? Have you ever been in a city that had stop and frisk? Have you ever had these situations? Why don't we listen to the people? that are having that experience. Mm -hmm. I don't wear a burqa. So if somebody asks a question about a burqa, I should pass the mic to somebody that wears a burqa. Mm -hmm. I don't have a, a disability that limits me in, in the workplace. So if I'm making systems and contemplating that, why would I not engage those people mm -hmm. to get their firsthand contribution to that process? And so it's a really, it's, it's kind of a global concept that I think applies to almost everything. Mm -hmm. listen to people, listen to them, incorporate their feedback into your overall policies. Right. And be, and, and I think also like there's a, there's a fundamental fairness that we have to trigger in ourselves. And we'd like to think of ourselves as fair, 
But let's be honest. We really aren't, right? I'll give you a good example. We know the marijuana business, the cannabis business is booming in the United States. And it's run virtually, well, almost like 100% with white men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think those white men never smoked weed until it was legal? <laughs> Exactly. Everyone laughs when I ask that question because it's ridiculous. That's why they got into the weed business because they're experts at weed. Right. So let me get this straight. If one group of people smokes weed, they're locked out of educational opportunities. They're locked out of professional opportunities. Essentially, their lives are ruined. Mm -hmm. Another group does the same exact activity and Mm -hmm. they go on to make millions. Hmm. It's just fairness, mm-hmm. right? And when I speak with my clients, I'm very careful to not be super jargony. Like mm-hmm. you said, I, I talk in parables and mm-hmm. I do that because I just want to trigger your fairness and, and create a space where you don't substitute your thoughts about something for how someone is actually living and the challenges and the experiences that they're having. So if you want to have a great team, a great organization, um, you shouldn't see diversity as a chore, Mm -hmm. conclusion as a hassle. You should see it as turbocharging your entire team to get the maximum value Mm -hmm. out of that team. You know, like that should be your goal and that should be your perspective. So I think that when you when you're having these conversations and you're stepping into these spaces, it's a muscle. And let's be honest, a lot of people, that muscle is not developed. They really don't talk to a lot of people that think differently than them. They don't live in a situation where their ideas are constantly challenged or questioned. And so they step into these spaces and they're kind of out of shape. Right. Like that musculature has not been developed. Right. Give yourself some patience, give yourself some time and commit to it. People want to do one initiative. Oh, didn't work. See, this diversity doesn't work. (laughs) You know, scrap it. And it's just like, that's not how it works. Like you have to commit to it over the long haul. So I think like when you talk about this idea of having courageous conversations, I think part of that is stamina. It's building the muscle and the commitment to stick with the task at hand so that you can be a part of actual change and not just be a fad. You know, when you talked about listening, what occurred to me, Denise, is that, uh, well, that and the fact you were talking about underdeveloped muscles. I thought about myself trying to do pull-ups because I can't. So I just, I imagined that the equivalent of that with these conversations. I was like, okay, we're all in different places. But when you talked about listening, it occurred to me that it's not only a matter of listening, but you have to trust that these people are just as human as you are. Because I know, and I've noticed in some conversations, when you poo-poo someone that, and you try to tell them their life experience and they're telling you it's a different experience, you're basically saying you are less human than I. You, you cannot be as intelligent. You cannot be as observant. You must be less educated. Even if I've seen people do this to people with PhDs of other races or gender, and, not, and they don't know this. And the other person, you know, a lot of people don't have egos. They're not going to tell you, but I've actually watched this happen. And I'm like, wait a minute. Did you just try to explain to the PhD? <laughs> how so it's amazing to me. So as we're talking about all these things and we get ready to wrap it up, you know, we're having these courageous conversations. We kind of talked about the negotiating aspect, these conversations. What responsibility do you think 
we have as speakers in this process because we all have our own issues. But at the same time as flawed humans, we have the ears of millions of people. So where do we fit into this process? I feel like we fit right at the front. I feel like we should be the tip of the spear. We should be modeling this behavior. We should be leaders. We should, you know, Professor Galloway, famous speaker, I met him um, recently and we, we just hit it off. Mm-hmm. And he sent me all of his pricing for the last two months, like mm-hmm. everything that he's spoken at and how much he was paid. Mm-hmm. And he did that because he said, you know, I can't say that I'm for equality, but I hide the ball and I don't share information. If it's going to help you grow, I want you to grow. Right. To me, it's like that is putting your money where your mouth is and standing up on stages and making sure that you model inclusion, that you are, you know, like you, if you look at your slide deck and every face is the same color, every face is the same gender. That's something you need to look at. If you think about the folks that you're um, speaking to, the examples that you're using, really challenging yourself to push the envelope yourself. Cause like I said, I think of us as the tip of the spear of the, of the spear. Like I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, Right before COVID, we were planning a national tour with another woman and she's a white woman and obviously I'm a black woman. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about stop and frisk. Mm -hmm. And I said, why don't we have a police officer come in and pull a white woman out of the audience, Mm -hmm. go through her pockets, take her purse, dump it out, like exactly how a stop and frisk happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you could have heard a pin drop on that call. Those people were like, like, you could never (laughs) do that. Denise, that would be so traumatic. That would be so terrible. Really? I said, that happens to people every day. Yes. For years. Regardless of income level, because the the Latino man, the African-American man in the suit, I think people would be surprised if they had enough Uh, brown minorities who are comfortable with them, how many very well-to-do ones have horrible, horrible, scary stories. Right. And and so if I'm in a position that I'm able to discuss a national tour as a speaker, that's a privilege, right? To touch Mm -hmm. multiple people all over the country. Mm -hmm. If I don't push the envelope, if Mm -hmm. I don't say, well, wait a minute, if I don't challenge, if I don't present different opportunities, and that doesn't mean we're always going to do what I suggest or or how it's going to go. But if we are not architects of change, what are we doing? Like we're supposed to be catalyzing the evolution of our, the people that listen to us, our audiences should be catalyzed to be better. And if this is not an ingredient in our soup, what are we eating? What are we really doing? Right? So this is about leadership. This is about creating dynamic teams. This topic literally touches almost every single subject we talk about. If you're a futurist and you talk about technology, you got to talk about facial recognition and how it differs from black people to Hispanic people to white people. Like talk about the things and braid it into your everyday life. This should not be an event. This should be a part of your normal discourse. If you consider yourself to be a leader that is um, powerful and impactful and a catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. You got, you got to put this into your presentations. So let me ask you this, then is this an indictment of people with privilege? Because I feel like sometimes 
and we again, we all have privilege, just about all of us, right? It's, it's pretty hard to find too many Americans that don't have some level of privilege that aren't, again, not intentionally, but you're born standing with your foot on someone else's neck. Do you, when someone says, oh, um, we need more lower income or we need more brown faces or we need more women, is that an indictment of the people who are not those things? Because I, like I said, I think sometimes that's how people take it, that, oh, this is bad. They're trying to take something away from me that, is, that I earned myself. What, what is your viewpoint on that? I think that's probably the most tragic dimension of this conversation is because is that people process this through the lens of scarcity. Mm-hmm. When this is about abundance, you know, if I step into a room and there's five of us in the room, Um, and I'm breathing, I'm comfortable with the amount of air. If a hundred more people come in that room, I don't say I'm going to run out of air. I just (laughs) welcome them into the room. Right. right? And, and, and so this idea that it's, it's finite and limited and we have to fight each other. How about we expand, you know, how about we approach it and think about it in a way that's progressive. And, and I'll say this too, we have to be careful. I think that we have to take an all hands approach, right? Everybody has a piece of this problem, a piece of this challenge. In a way, we've all been misshapen by this horrible, like, like it's it's a failure. It's like it's a crisis. Racism is right. So so we've all been kind of misshapen by that, and so we all have to have a part in straightening that out. So I have a part too. I have to let you grow. Mm-hmm. I have to let you move on. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes like even that word of indictment, mm-hmm. like I want to purge all of that kind of language because it's not helpful. It's like, how do we move forward together? How do we reimagine a new tomorrow? And I'm going to use a word that if it had more letter, less letters, you call it a four letter word. Optimism. Can we have some optimism? Can we believe in our ability to recreate and reimagine? Isn't that what we do as speakers? Help people to reimagine an incredible new future, either personally or for their organizations. Like that's literally what our job is. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's an optimism that we need to bring to this. And so in my presentations and why I think I resonate with the, the populations that I work with is because I really am jargon free. Because I think the language is so deficient. It's woefully inadequate. We have one word for racism. We use the same word for all of this huge spectrum of behaviors and occurrences, whether it be burning a cross on somebody's lawn or a guidance counselor that tells all the black kids not to apply to that school because they're not going to get in. And even besides besides just racism, when we get into sexism, when we get into you know, people that are actively working against LGBTQ interests. When we look at people who are not inclusive of people with disabilities, like, I mean, we could go on. The fact that in this country, I think that it is still very much standard to have a certain degree of disdain for people that don't have much. I mean, the way that we look at the poor, you know, right. so I mean, which come in all different races, flavors, shapes, whatever, right? Religious right. powers. I mean, I, I think the points you're making expand out so far. And I'm only pointing that out because it's very easy to think there's only one type of problem and that we're free from that because right. that's ours. But we right. all have stuff to work on. 
<laughs> and, and it's important to not get bogged down by the language. And I know there, there, if you're, if you're a white person right now in America, you can easily be triggered to defend yourself. Right. And feel like you're under attack. Mm-hmm. I don't think that serves any of us. I don't want to attack anyone. Right. I want to radicalize you. I want to bring you over and give you a corner of the plow and let's work, let's do this work together because we want to be, I don't know, crazy, another crazy word, patriotic. Like we yeah. want to have the best possible country that we can have. And yeah. so I, I just, if, if there is one thing you take from this, this um, uh, message today, it's, can we find the optimism? Can we find the belief in possibility and, and commit, commit the stamina, the energy, the attention and the discomfort. Like I said, you're, you're, we're out of shape when it comes to these topics. We don't have it all figured out, but can we do that process together? We are a people that can do hard things. We sent somebody to the moon in a tin can using computers that aren't even as sophisticated as the ones we carry in our pockets, in our purses. I mean, think about that. We can do hard things. How do we channel that emotion again for this very important subject? These are ways that we can be better and we are fully capable of moving forward. For tuning in to Voice of Experience, the podcast of the National Speakers Association. Catch us on your favorite podcast app, YouTube, and NSA's social media profiles. I'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.